0: something good would happen or something bad would happen, and I would use, mm. you know, I would drink. And it wasn't just like, man, I'm going to celebrate and have a glass of champagne. It was like I was going to have the bottle and we need backup. I realized I couldn't quit when I wanted to. Last time I drank, he, he was very much involved, and um, I was slurring my words, and, um, and he ran and told Ashley, and he said, Mom, something's wrong with Dad.
1: Quote, I am more powerful than the combined armies of the world. I have destroyed more men than all the wars of all the nations. I have caused millions of accidents and wrecked more homes than all the floods, tornadoes, and hurricanes put together. I am the world's slickest thief. I steal billions of dollars. I find my victims among the rich and the poor alike. I am relentless I am insidious, unpredictable. I bring sickness, poverty, and death. I give nothing and I take all. I am your worst enemy. I am alcohol. Author unknown. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How has alcohol impacted your life? Is it possible to break out of an alcoholic lifestyle and to change the destructive path it leads to? Is it possible to receive healing from the wreckage of alcohol abuse? These are the questions that I want to ask our guest today as he shares his life change story with us. I'm Eric Hutchinson, welcome to the If Nothing Changes podcast. I'm excited to talk with my friend today, so let's get into it, shall we? Hey friend, so why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, my name is Russell King. I'm a Christ follower, husband, father, and real estate agent slash broker in Northwest Arkansas.
1: So, hey, Russell, welcome. Amen. Why don't you give us some background, kind sure. of where you grew up, tell us about your family and maybe some of the relationships with your family, if you have any brothers or sisters yeah, and, and that yeah. sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I grew up in uh, the River Valley down in Fort Smith, and uh, I'm the youngest of three boys. Uh, and I'm I'm quite a bit younger. My oldest brother is 10 years older than me. My middle brother is seven years older than me. So I was a, a happy accident and the baby, you know, that they all kind of looked after. So, uh, but yeah, I grew up there and um, grew up in a, uh, my mom and dad are strong, faithful uh, believers. I'm, I'm a Christ follower, like I said. And um, uh, we grew up in church, uh, uh, you know, every Wednesday, every Sunday night and all that. And so I was, I was a believer pretty early in, in life. I think I I felt that tug on my heart, and and just kind of felt convicted of you know what where should I go and what should I do and all those. So I had a lot of questions early. Um, so yeah. So let me ask you this:
1: Do you as you are an adult now? Do you recognize that there were some dysfunctions in your family at all? I mean, did maybe even in the relationships? I mean, was there any either dysfunctions or abuse or anything that you can recognize now that maybe you didn't recognize whenever yeah. you were a child?
0: Man, for sure. I think. Um, you know, as an adult, I've gone kind of on a deep dive into my family of origin and trying to just understand where I came from and all that, my identity. I really struggled with my identity uh, for a long time. But yeah, um, I think the biggest kind of dysfunction was was really, and and my mom and dad are my heroes, you know. Um, And here's a funny story too about about my dad. So I didn't know either one of my granddads. They both passed before I was born. And so, you know, I'd often ask my dad, especially, and say, hey, you know, what was my granddad like? And he said, you know, he was, he was a strong, um, you know, believer, but he, he was just, he was one of those guys. My dad's story says, um, when you were born, he told you, he loved you. And if he ever changed his mind, he'd let you know, you know? And so comparative to that, my, my dad did leaps and bounds better, you know, as a, as a father figure to recognize, but, uh, you know, this, the narrative that came out of that, at least that I told myself was, um, I have it within me to just get better and, and do better. Uh, don't feel bad. Don't don't waste time uh, feeling any negative thoughts. So sadness, uh, being mad about stuff, or angry. I just didn't feel like I had the space to feel any of that, right. and so I just chose to numb it out. I just I found early in life ways to just not feel those things, right. uh, and I felt like that was you know kind of what was modeled. Uh, you know, in my home life for sure. So I didn't. I, there was one time that I remember uh, my mom and dad arguing, and uh, we had that kind of the staircase where I was kind of hiding and they couldn't see me while they were arguing. You know, and um, and afterwards, mom tucked me in, and I was like, "Hey, are y- are y'all getting a divorce?" You know, like I I them arguing was so foreign to me that I thought this must be huge. You know, and of course she was like, no, we're not, you know, it's normal marriage, but I, I had no clue. It was like, oh gosh, like uh, my takeaway was always like, don't confront. Yeah. So
1: you mentioned identity earlier mm. and that you struggled with that. So what did the you know witnessing your mom, your dad, your brothers, and so forth? So what did that tell you about who Russell is in yeah. that narration? Mm. What did you feel about yourself? and you know how did you how did you deal with that?
0: Yeah, um, I think I think when you you know you find out so part of part of my story is that uh, you know, we all say that kind of Kevin prayed me into existence, you know. At bedtime prayers at night, Kevin would pray for little brother, and my mom and dad would look at each other and kind of go, "No, you know, we don't need another one, you know, or whatever." But you know what? I think, and and by no means do my parents mean anything against that, but I think it was like, "Oh, well, I wasn't on purpose," mm-hmm. you know. It was just that that narrative, and I, I think for me, it's one of those just those small you know creak or opening of a door where Satan goes, see, you weren't even supposed to be here, you know? And and I think our our identity kind of twists that. I think, um, you know, the, the one little thing that comes out of that I know, like my self-narrative, is that the free-floating toxic guilt and underlying sense that I'm just not a good person. So
1: when did alcohol first enter your life? I mean, did you witness you know, family members um, participating in that, or it was just an experiment that you did with uh, your friends. I mean, when did that yeah. start becoming a regular thing in your life? Mm. There
0: was a couple of guys that I would walk to school with in, in sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade. And, um, you know, one of them had gotten some some type of alcohol, like a soda, you know, flavored, like really light kind of alcohol. But, you know, we, we drank it, and I remember feeling that buzz, feeling... And that was kind of something that I chased for the next couple of years. Um, I had, I had dropped a drawer, totally innocent. Uh, I had dropped a drawer, getting ready for for school or church one day, and the drawer had fell on my big toe. We had hardwood floors, and so it, it broke my toe. And so we went to the emergency room, and they just you know put a put a, a taper around it, but they gave me you know pain medication. And that was another instant, like wow, um, that feels really good. You know that's uh, and so those it was kind of a constant for several years out of just total innocent, um, activities, you know, uh, or just like I said earlier, like, you know, just curiosity of like, what does that taste like? And what does that right. feel like? And, uh, but, but once I hit high school, it was, uh, and I was a, I was a sports, you know, I played all the sports and, uh, was considered a jock, I guess. And, and, uh, so there was lots of drinking and parties and and stuff like that. And so, I spent a lot of time, you know, drinking on the weekends and, and feeling that shame and guilt, and it became such a cycle. And then when I hit college, so to speak, uh, it was just an all-out, this is what I do every night. When I look back on that, when I hit my 18, 19, 20, it was kind of like I didn't know who I was because nobody was able to pour into me, mm. you know. And, so, and in in the, the the shadow of all that, the people that were there, um, had an older brother that had a pack of cigarettes or, you know, there was little things early on in life that I tried um, that, that sh- I shouldn't have been around. You mm-hmm. know, it was a little bit of like, oh, I was running with the wrong crowd, but it was a little bit more just like curiosity and not knowing right. and not being shown, Hey, these are, these will hurt you. You know, yeah. this is bad. So I, 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 you know, um, tried tobacco, pornography and, uh, you know, um, alcohol and, uh, marijuana, you know, all before I hit junior high. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it was that, all, yeah, it was all very early. And it was all very innocent and curiosity, uh, but it quickly was like, well, that feels good. Mm. So anytime I would have any kind of negative feeling, it was like, you know, rather than, uh, I, know, I know some people like, you know, fantasy is really easy to go into. For me, it was just escape. It was like I, did, I didn't want to feel something. I just didn't want to feel anything, mm. you know. So turning it off became kind of the goal early on, yeah. uh, and I got really good at it, mm. <laughs> you know. It was, uh, and that that bled on for years. And I, I was really good at hiding and, um, and and not getting in trouble with the law or my parents or any of that. Uh, and I think that's another another door that that Satan allowed in my life for the longest time was just to kind of go unnoticed. And it was like, well it was confirmation that I wasn't supposed to be here and just to lay low and fly under everybody's radar. That's where I'm supposed to be. And looking back, would
1: you say, mm. okay, you know, in high school, it just, it was at the parties and it was, a, you know, w- at what point did, would you say this has become an addiction? Would it be in college when you say, you know what, I felt like I really needed it mm. and I wanted, I mean, where, where would that line be for you?
0: It really wasn't until my first year of marriage. Uh, my wife Ashley, um, when we got married and moved in together, um, you know, she was like, "Hey, what? You're drinking a lot, and what you're doing, like your behavior is kind of not normal." And it, up until then, I think it was like, "Oh, it's not." You know, I mean, like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize, like, yeah, I'm, I'm really hurting myself, and there's a ripple effect into other people around me. When I look back at at my 28, 29 year old self, I just want to hug him. Oh. You know, I just think. He just didn't know. Yeah, so he needed love and you know acceptance. It's just you know, it's just one of those things that uh, I mean I just know there's there's people out there that that are still struggling with that you yes. know or just coming into some of those seasons. And so yes. the way I kind of see it was this kind of a process of just curiosity, uh, and then there was there was just using, then there was abusing, and then there was just a right out addiction, and that. That didn't really come out of until my marriage. So
1: some people feel like that they take one drink. I mean, I've heard some people say, I took one drink and I was hooked. I was, you know, addicted. So it sounds to me like, and I'm just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds to me like you tried it and that it was more of a peer pressure type thing in high school. And then you got into college and it continued. But uh, was there... Were you using it as a medication uh, at some point, and then it just became that you were you became addicted because of the fe- the way it made you feel?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, so I tend to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and one of the things that it says in the in the Blue Book is what people call it. Uh, it says we we drank alcohol because we liked how it made us feel. Mm. You know, it was just that simple. And then it got to where it was my I was using it as total medic self medication, right. uh, and that really. I think it was the using and abusing until we got married and our first year of marriage, I think it was an addiction. And, uh, so I I dabbled in, in other drugs and stuff, but, um, alcohol was, we had, we had moved from, uh, when we got married, we, we moved to Northwest Arkansas. So, um, and I didn't have any drug connections and so it was all of, it was just alcohol and it was very easy to get. Um, and it was, it was pretty easy to hide. Um, the amount at least that I was, that I was using. And that's where that real addiction came. And then it was still, you know, the, another 10, 12 years of, of realizing I don't have a grip on this. I, and, and there was a kind of a, an internal dream of, well, I just need to get back to where I can control the amount. Right. There was just this, I just need to justify my right to use. And I think most alcoholics, um, there comes this time where it's like i can't talk about alcohol or i can't not have a drink in front of everybody else because somebody will know something's up and that was very much me if we were at a party it was like i can't be here if i'm not supposed to drink but what's interesting is like nobody nobody cares you know when when it's like now i'm like hey no if somebody offers me a, you know a beverage i'm like no i'm good and they're like okay you know nobody cares whether you drink or not. But for me, it was like, how, how could I go on tonight without drinking? Yeah. And that was a, that was a big thing. And that was, um, which continued into relapse, you know, yeah. I, I had lots, I mean, I, I kind of coined the phrase, you know, relapse King. Cause man, I just, I would put it down, uh, and white knuckle it as a lot of people, just as, as strong as I could, I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't drink something good, would happen or something bad would happen. And I would use, Mm. you know, I would drink and it wasn't just like, man, I'm going to celebrate and have a glass of champagne. It was like, I was going to have the bottle and we need backups.
1: So there was some medication and it was kind of like, okay, I'm feeling pain or hurt and I just want to put the pain away and I don't want to think about it. I want to escape. And so it became that way. So you mentioned your wife um, Mm -hmm. saying earlier to you that, that, Hey, I think, they the amount that you're drinking is too much. So when, tell me what age were you when you got married and how many years it was before she started noticing that, Oh,
0: it's more than just
1: a casual drink here and there. Yeah.
0: I, we got married when I was 29 and I think on our honeymoon, <laughs> she noticed it was too much. So very yeah. early then. Yeah. Very early. Wow. And, and more than that, it was, uh, we couldn't talk about hard things. I just, I had a defense up if she was like, hey, we need to pay this bill and we need to find the money. It was like, oh, I can't talk about it. And, and so she was very much like, why, why, is, why can't we even talk about, we need to pay rent, we need to make our house payment, we need to do these normal things like everybody else does. For me, I heard, uh, you don't make enough money. You need to go work harder and do all these other things. And if we don't get money in the door, and she meant nothing by, hey, we need to pay, pay our bills. You know, obviously we, that's normal. Uh, but for me, it was like, Russell's not good enough, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Russell, you're fundamentally, fundamentally a bad person. And so, uh, you're not even supposed to be here. Remember? Right. You know, so that was, that was, um, very early on, very early on in our marriage. So
1: how long did it take before you said, okay, you're right. I need to get help. And you, you started seeking that.
0: Yeah. I, I think really it was that probably our sixth, maybe eighth month of our marriage. I'm sorry. It was probably uh, after our first year, probably another, another six months. So a year and a half into our marriage, uh, we had started to seek help and we went into a a season of probably a year or two where it was like this, this life is easier. Uh, But I still didn't deal with any of my um, fundamental problems, my identity and who I was. I still didn't know. I, I was making wiser decisions. Uh, but anytime something hard would come up, I wouldn't know how to deal with that. I still, my, my escape was still my, my easy button. If you will. Yeah. So
1: did you believe, did Russell believe that you had a problem or, I mean, so your wife noticed and she was like, so did you make the decision to get help and go to AA or whatever? Mm. Did you make that decision because of your wife's pressure because she was like hey you need to get help i see this and you're like okay to make her happy i'm going to do this i mean were you in you know recovery to appease your wife or was it for russell at that time
0: yeah I, it was a little bit of both but i th- i think underneath i was lying to myself saying i really just need to get to where i can control the amount mm-hmm. yeah and there were there were arguments and there were uh moments where it was like if she would just get off my back you know so so i think underneath all of it was I didn't really want to quit. I wanted things to get better. Uh, but I still thought that self medication was still going to help me in the future. So I need to continue to find a way to keep using, Yeah, you know, whenever I want to. And part of that too, I think was the illusion of control to say, I still want to control this thing. Um, I don't want my wife to tell me what I can and can't do. Uh, so, uh, Underneath I think that's where it came back to I really want to take this thing back i I still have control over this it's okay if uh, she will just deal with her life mm-hmm. you know or whatever yeah it was it was very easy for me to shift the blame uh, but it it got to where several years later after we had kind of started the process with this that I realized I couldn't quit when I wanted to that was the kind of the bottom drawer if yeah. you will yeah, yeah where it was like i Wow, I really can't do this. You know, so somebody, when was somebody, that? How long was that before yeah. you you finally realized that? Well, um, there was a couple of times like um, you've heard my story and the fact that I was at a you know local um, behavioral health and uh, I was I found a blue AA book. But, uh, you know, I opened it up and it was in Spanish, you know, and it was like, oh, boy. So, yeah, and that was another kind of moment where it was like, this is, see, you, you, don't, you don't get help even if you ask for it. You know, you don't matter enough to even, you know, have your higher power or have God or anybody else help you. And so I think I continued uh, until uh, I showed up at, at a recovery meeting uh, intoxicated. And my sponsor at the time said, listen, we, we've got to do something. You've got to go bigger, you know, uh, one kind of thought process and, Mm -hmm. and understanding with recovery is like if, if your level of recovery is not working, you need a deeper level of recovery, you know, a little what, what's one more layer of accountability. And so for me, it was actually rehab. Okay. And, and rehab was, uh, for me, it was, it was just a 30 day process. And, um, some some people go 45, 90 days. Some people go for a year or more, whatever. Uh, but for me, it was really good. And I had um, uh, have you ever heard of Onsite? So it's uh, if you look it up, it's a uh, it's a behavioral health um, place. They have locations. They do a lot of stuff online. Uh, but I had during COVID, i I had bought one of their like six week programs, and I'd gone through. And part of that was to like understanding unpacking your identity. And I so. Through that and celebrate recovery and AA, I was I was starting to understand like oh this is this is not something I'm dealing with today. This is backed up baggage, for years and years and years and stuff I've never dealt with, and I really kind of need to go back to the beginning. And that really helped me. So when I got to rehab, it was like I've already heard all the 12-step stuff. I know how to apply that, um, but I didn't know how to take it to the very beginning. Right. And, you know one of the pro- one of the steps is to go into inventory. And that really helped me to to back up and say not not just here's all the bad things I've done in my life, but to understand, like, this is who I am because of these events, and that's okay, but I want to choose differently moving forward, and that God does have a bigger plan for me. And that was a huge help for me to go, yeah, I of course I made these mistakes. Of course I, I lived life that way. And, man, to give myself... Um, freedom to say it's okay to not be okay. That was a that was a big move for me to, to go, okay, I can receive God's grace and His mercy and uh, I'm not the you know I think one way I used to think was I'm the biggest dirt bag, you know and it's like so is everybody else. you know everybody's a dirt bag, which means we're all equal and God loves us and and to find my identity that God has a purpose for me on this is it has changed my whole world. But I needed that time of rehab to go, let me look at my life in review. What, what, am, what am I really in charge of? What am I really responsible for? Where did I turn left? What I should have, shouldn't have turned at all, right. you know? And, and where did I hide from people so that I could keep doing? And that was a, a huge step for me was to take that 30 days and go, man... Of course I'm like this. Of course, you know, and, and not a, out of a, I blame my parents or anything, but to, to take ownership out of my own, re, own life and realize the directions it's ta- taken has a big part of the decisions that I made. Right. So that, that was a, a big thing for me to start understanding. Like, I really am a dad. I really am a husband. And God's put those people in my life and uh, put me in their life. Uh, and that's been a big big thing for me. So
1: So I'm going to ask you a personal question. So how long have you been sober? Yeah. Two years. So two years. So what, so you've had, you had multiple relapses and then two years ago, what happened? What, 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 what was different about the Mm. last two years that didn't happen before?
0: Yeah. So, um, a couple of years ago, um, My wife and I had a um, had a miscarriage, and it was um, it was one of those things. I I thought that I was okay. I thought, and in fact, that week I told Ashley, "Listen, I'm I'm on your team. We're going to go through this together." In fact, I told her that Friday morning, and sometime Friday afternoon, I was drinking. And 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 it was too late to un, undo it. I didn't even. I don't remember thinking I'm going to go, you know, drink. I'm going to. It was not a process. I looked up and uh, and it was already too late. And um, out of our daily and weekly habits, I went to a recovery meeting and I was I was intoxicated. And out of that night, that was the that was the thing of like, you're not okay, and it's okay for you not to be. Now now will you? accept help. You know, will, will you take the time that's needed to go, to go work on yourself? And I think I, was, I needed to be forced to that place. And I, I look back so many times um, early on, my parents were like, what, can, can we take you to rehab? And, and they didn't know. They didn't know how to help. You know? uh, and I think that's, that's what happens with a lot of families. It's like, we really want to help him or her. And we just don't know how. And for me, I think it was realizing I've got to do some work on myself. I've got to go back and unpack and and not necessarily do anything about it, but just realize where am I at? Where what is really going on? And where is my reality? And that and and that was a good reflection to for me to pack, you know, unpack and recognize. And so that was the thing of like I I don't know how to be okay. And um, out of that, I, now I talk about like man I. I'm mad today. <laughs> you know. And it's okay to be mad today. Absolutely. And uh, and to but but to instead of holding all of that in, now it's a process of like, man, let me call a brother. Let me call my wife and just go, man, I just feel frustrated today about whatever whatever's going on and I can be open and honest about the reality of whatever's going on because I think I would just pack all that away and just stuff it down and stuff it inside when really it just it just needed a little valve <laughs> you know of release yes. and uh, one of the things I do now is um, there's a um, a third party app that is um, it's like a tenth step like kind of a, a little bit of emotional uh, check-in app and it reminds me like hey, how am I feeling and and the questions I typically ask is how am I body, mind and spirit you know and so physically have I done any kind of exercise mentally if you know, am I, am I working my brain? And then spiritually, am I practicing, you know, a little bit of what I preach? Um, and, and most of the time I can go, yeah, that's, that's not being worked, or um, I kind of take my temperature morning and night, and that's a huge help to go, man, uh, what, what am I doing with my spiritual life? And that's, that's been a big help for me to change uh, really my, my direction and my trajectory, you know.
1: So do you talk to your kids about your struggles I and do, do they know yeah. about your mm. past?
0: Man. Um, yeah, Levi remembers. Yeah, that, that night, my last, um, last time I drank, he, he was very much involved and um, I was slurring my words and, um, and he ran and told Ashley and he said, Mom, something's wrong with Dad. You know, and it was very, um, and he remembers, we, we talk about it. And so, you know, through counseling and, and, uh, through other brothers who've kind of been there before, I've said, yeah, don't, don't criticize him for, for remembering or bringing it up. And, and it's been, man, that was, that's been just a a fruit of the journey that I, I never knew would come. And we have grown so much closer cause he's like, you know, why did you do that? He wants to know why, did, why did you make that choice? And so we go into it and, um, and I love it because he's like, but you're done with that now. you know.
1: Amen. That's awesome. So, brother, what would you tell the person who's listening to this podcast and they are escaping through, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, what would you tell them if they feel like they are a loser, mm-hmm. if they feel like that their identity is that they can't succeed, that they're destined to fail, and so they might as well just continue on the path that they're on, and someone is listening and they're hearing your story, what would you advise them? What would you tell them um, right now?
0: Mm. I mean, I love your, your phrase, you know, if, if there's no change, there's no change. And so if you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, call me, <laughs> you know, uh, reach, out to, reach out to somebody, recognize who is healthy and reach out to them. Yeah, I think one thing was um, that helped me was to was to start asking myself why am I drinking? Why why it's not just to have fun? It was out of a, a delusion or a process of I I need to do something different. I need to turn this off. I need to self medicate or whatever. And so I think if someone might ask themselves, uh, why? What's the purpose of what I'm doing? Because I'm drinking a lot, and I think un- uncovering that yeah, something's, something's not right in me and I want to get help.
1: Thanks Russell for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you can relate to Russell's story, if you are thinking that's me, I struggle with alcohol or some other kind of substance abuse. Maybe you are drinking or using to bury some kind of pain in the past Maybe the enemy is whispering in your ear, telling you that you are a loser, that there's no other path than the destructive one that you are on. That's a lie. You are valuable and you are loved. Maybe you've hurt people that you are close to because of your struggle. Whatever the case may be, change is possible. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.